0: Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Identity. In this message, Brandon talks about what our purpose in life should be and how first and foremost, we are called to love God. Is your life being driven by Christ? Or are you allowing other things drive you to Christ? All right, jumping into the Word of God here. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, the scripture we've been looking at for the last uh, three weeks now. This is the third week in this. Got one more next week, um, but First Peter two nine and ten. We're going to read this and pray, and then, then we're going to get going. First Peter two nine and 10, 9 says this: But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God, we thank you for your word, for your heart for us today. God, I, I do pray as we sang this morning that we would be awakened. That we'd be awakened this morning by your spirit, by your love, by your grace. God, that we would begin to recognize you more clearly. God, that we would uh, realize our appointment to love you, to um, rejoice in you. God, I thank you that you, uh, you fill us. Your word says, God, that if we'll, we'll seek you. We'll hunger and thirst for your righteousness that we will be filled. I pray, God, that we would create a hunger. God, I'm thirsty for you today. We need you, God. Some of us today don't realize how bad we need you, even in good times, Father. But I pray, I pray that we would get a revelation of who you are, that we would realize who you are in in, in our lives. We love you and thank you. Meet us here now through your word. May it find good soil in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a, a young child, I, I always start out with one of these young child stories, but, but this is a good one. Um, when I was young, probably about Dake's age, um, had a, some older cousins. I was an only child, okay? So some of you now know what's wrong with me. I was an only child, spoiled rotten. And, um, but uh, when, I had some older cousins, and, and we lived actually in, in sort of west, west Georgia. Um, and, and so my older cousins would uh, do things to us that were just you know like an older brother would just mean kind of things well one night we're there and we're all at my aunt and uncle's house and and a couple of my older cousins um decided they would uh pay, play a little trick on us and so i had another uh, cousin who was about my age and they said hey guys listen we want to take you on a, a hunting trip and what you need to do is get get some paper bags Get some paper bags. See, some of you know, maybe have never heard of this before. I'm going to save you um, some from, from this, this um, adventure that we got taken on. And they said, Get some paper bags, and then we're going to go out and we're going to go hunting. And we're like, Awesome. We get to go hunting. It's not even hunting season, we're going hunting. And so we went and we found some paper sacks. And, and they said, Come on, let's go. And so we go out, it's dark. They've got flashlights. So we're following along behind them. And we're like, What are we hunting? And they said, Snipe. <laughs> I was like, cool. I have never seen a Snipe. But, but we're going to hunt Snipe. And so we go out there. They carry us out in the middle of the woods. It seemed like forever that we were walking. And we're standing there with our bags. And they, we said, what do we do now? And about that time, they cut off the flashlights, take off running. And we're just left there in the woods. And we're running. I mean, we're we're freaking out. You gotta imagine seven year old in the middle of the woods, as dark as it can be, and we're flipping out, man. We're running into stuff. We're running into trees. We're running into briars. It was a mess. And they're, you know, of course, they're not very far from us, but they've got the lights. We can't see anything. And so we're just running all over the place, running into stuff. And finally, they cut the lights back on. We run up to them. You know, we, we we're so scared we couldn't even be mad. But but. We finally get back home, and man, I'm telling you, it was a frightening experience. Now, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about how, is, how much life is that way, right? Sometimes we feel like we're in a dark place. Sometimes we feel like we are keep bumping into things. We, we just continue to run into, it seems like trees, or we stump our toe on rocks. And, and every time we turn around, there's something in our life, it seems, that is causing problems, it's causing hurt. But this scripture right here in 1 Peter 2, 9 is really awesome because it says that you have been chosen that, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's a good thing about Jesus. The Bible says that um, when he came to earth, that in him was life and that life was the light of men. So when we're in Christ, there becomes an illumination to our, our life that we can actually begin to see things clearly. How many of you lived for the devil for a really long time and then when you finally came to Christ and you gave your life to Jesus, you began to see things in a different way? That happens to, it happened to me, man. I was living my life and I thought it was good. I thought it was right. I thought, man, this is it. And then all of a sudden I realized my need for Christ. I realized my need for God. And all of a sudden it was like the blinders were taken off my eyes and I realized how foolish I had been going my own way, how actually um, in in poverty I had been and how empty I really was because I did not have Jesus. And so we see right here very clearly that Jesus came. He's the light of life. He begins to illuminate things so that we don't have to live life just bumping into everything and stubbing our toe. How many of you have ever stubbed your toe on something? My goodness, that will almost make you lose your religion, will it not? I mean, it will make you want to cuss when you stump your toe on something. And we don't have to go through life continually blinded by the darkness because Jesus wants to come and illuminate everything around us. This is the function of Christ. And it's our function, it says, to begin to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his light. But you see, here's the problem. If we aren't living in the light, how can we tell other people about it, right? If we're we're living in darkness ourselves, how can we declare the praises of the one who's called us into the light? We can't. I mean, it's not anything that we've never heard before. There's nothing that's real profound. But if you're living in darkness, how can you tell other people about the light? You can't. And so Jesus very clearly, or Peter very clearly tells us in that scripture that we have to begin to live um, as those who've been called into the light. We have to begin to declare the praises of him who's called us. Listen to this scripture to what Jesus said to this about being chosen. In verse uh, chapter 15 of John, verse 16, he says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and listen to this, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So here's a part of a huge part of our identity that we've got to realize is that Jesus has appointed us. He has appointed us to do something. Peter says that we're to declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into light. We've been appointed to declare the praises of God. We've been appointed to declare the praises of Jesus, what Jesus has done in us. But if he's never done anything in us, then how can we declare his praises? If he's never affected our lives, how can we be effective in the world to declare who Jesus is? And so there's a point where we come to where we realize we've been chosen to declare his praises. We've been chosen to tell people about the light of Jesus. We've been chosen to produce fruit in this world, kingdom fruit for God. But we've got to realize where that comes from. See, here's the thing that I think the problem with us is. I believe we're great. How many of you are good at this? You're great at getting the cart ahead of the horse in life. We always do that, don't we? So much so that, and I tested this this week. I had some guinea pigs this week that I asked if I were to ask you right now what your purpose in life is, what would you say? If I were to ask you right now what your purpose in life is, what, what's, your, what's your function? What's your identity? Most of you, and I would have done this too until this week, most of us would say, I'm a preacher. That's what I would have said. I'm called to preach, I'm a pastor. That's my call. That's what I'm supposed to do. Some of you say, Well, I'm called to be a businessman and help to 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 empower people in the kingdom of God to do the ministry that they're called to and to impact the people in my workplace. Some of you would say my purpose is to run a gym that glorifies God. Some would say it's to run a roofing business that glorifies God. Some would be to work in a bank that glorifies God. Some would say my calling is to be a worship leader. That's my purpose here on earth. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm called to be a worship leader. Some of you might say I've been called to do youth ministry, to be a counselor, to be whatever it is that you've been called to do. And we get so I think confused sometimes and. So so dissatisfied and so, um, um, just almost lost within trying to find our calling. And I believe it's because we get the cart ahead of the horse, because listen, before Jesus ever said that you're appointed to go and bear fruit, he told us very clearly that we have to abide in him. What I want you to hear today and what we're going to talk about is the fact that your first and foremost appointment in life, your first and foremost purpose in life, your first and foremost calling in life is to love Jesus. It is to love God. Jesus said as much. And listen, some of you may be sitting here going, well, duh. And see, it's one thing because it's something that many of us who've been in church for years, we've heard it, but it's another thing to actually do it. It's another thing to actually say, yeah, you know, I realize that Jesus is not first in my life. That Jesus is, is somewhere in there, but he's not first. He, he's close enough that if I really need him, I can go find him. But he's not really first and foremost in my life. And so we want to talk about that today and begin to look at this. Because see, everybody here has a specific purpose. There is something that God has created you to do. There is a calling in your life. Some of you have found that. Some of you haven't. But here's the deal. You'll never find it apart from abiding and remaining in Jesus. It doesn't work the other way, right? You get in Christ and then you find what you're called to do. Jesus makes it very plain. And I I firmly believe this, that if we will focus our energy and our effort and our heart on Jesus, everything else will become clear because you are walking in the light and you can see and it becomes clear to you where you step, where you go, what it is that you need. When we begin to focus on God, when we begin to truly focus and abide in him, when we cling to him and remain in him. I was reading, this week, um, in a, a book I started it's about Billy Graham and his life absolutely amazing. Um, so far, I've only read like 70 pages of it, it's been great. But the funny thing was, um, Billy Graham in, uh, in college, um, f- f- fell in love with a young girl and he actually asked her to marry. Him. And so she's she took a while. And, and guys, just a little hint if. You ask her, and she, like, takes a long time, and, and it's a couple of weeks before. She, you just might want to rethink that, you know? Um, but he it said it took a while. It took a little while. And, but finally, she came back and said yes. I mean, that would make you feel really good as a guy, right? Uh, you ask her, and she's like, okay, you know, put it on my finger. But... But when uh, he asked her, she said it. Well, then later it said they were at a class party. This is, you know, some time has gone by. And they're sitting in a swing. And it said that she looked at him and said, I've got to give you a ring back. I've got to give you a ring back. He's like, what? He was devastated. He, you know, he's, What's going on? And so she gives the ring back and she says, Billy, I just don't see any purpose in your life. <laughs> Talk about your all-time miss, right? <laughs> Billy Graham. Don't you know, like, every morning she wakes up, she's like, that dadgummit, you know, (laughs) kicking herself in the butt. I mean, this is Billy Graham. And she saw no purpose in his life. But that ought to be an encouragement to me and you. I mean, come on. Billy Graham, at one point in his life, there was no obvious purpose in his life, right? But here's the cool thing about it. It went on to say that Billy Graham himself began to search and try to figure out, what am I doing? What is my call? He was preaching and doing things, but he realized something's missing. I, I, I don't get it. And then he finally got to a place where he hit his knees and he said, God, here I am. I, I can't do this on my own. I, I don't even know, God, you got to do this in me and through me. And there began to be a process where God began to reveal. He began to empower. He began to anoint him in a different way. And now we see what Billy Graham did in the world. But there comes a point where we have to realize if we are going to fulfill what God has called us to do, then we have to begin to press into Christ. We've got to press into Jesus. We've got to press into God that he can illuminate our life, that we can live in the light and begin to follow after him. Um, Look at these verses. I want you to read some verses with me real quick. Turn to John chapter 15. I want you to read these with me so that you can kind of catch the importance of this. John chapter 15, we're going to read 1 through 15 together. I'm going to slow down because I've been, I've been told I read too fast, which is funny to me because I, I don't read very, very fast at all. But let's, um, let's start with verse 1 of chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up here. I want you to listen to this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Y'all reading? Everybody reading? Let's, read these. Let's start reading out loud. All right, read with me. You? Okay, I'm just, we're just making sure everybody's together. Are right, you ready? We've we got to get our pace down. This is, this is good. This, you know, we, all right, you ready? Kind of like a wedding where we'll just read a little bit. And, okay, you ready? You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen to this. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that you may... Your joy... I'm sorry, I have totally screwed y'all up. (laughs) Verse 11, let's start over. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Now, what stuck out to you in that verse? One word, maybe. Remain. Do you think it was kind of important to Jesus that we remain in him? Do you think it was kind of important that we would abide in Christ and in his love? I mean, he says it, what, 10 times or something in this one section of scripture that we would remain, that we would abide. And we've got to realize we'll never discover our identity. We'll never understand our purpose until we begin to remain in him. How arrogant is it for us as Christians to think that we could accomplish anything without the power of Jesus in our lives? How can we accomplish anything without first pressing into God and allowing God to work through us? There's two things that I believe happen when we don't center our thoughts, when we don't center our heart, when we don't um, come to Christ, when we don't remain in him and abide in him. I believe two things happen. One, we never really fully discover our purpose. We never really fully begin to press into God, and so we never really begin to produce fruit, which is what those verses are about, is us producing fruit for the kingdom of God. So we, we, we spend life fruitless right? The other thing is we just, we're just, we maybe we found our purpose. Maybe we know kind of where we're going, but we're just ineffective. That can be a frustration for me in church. I'll be very honest with you because there are times when we look and we're looking at the outward results of ministry and it just seems like we're being ineffective. But what, what I realized is this through all of that is that I can't change anybody, right? Right. Our worship team can't change anybody, no matter how awesome they are, no matter how loud we turn it up, no matter how how soft we play it. That doesn't change anybody. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives and producing fruit in our lives, we don't change anybody. How arrogant of us to think that we could do anything apart from the Holy Spirit, but we've learned how to do church so well that we just know if we put some drums up here, we get some guys that can play guitars, we get some girls that can sing and play keyboard, we get some guy that can stand up here and blabber for 30 minutes, maybe an hour, depending on the Sunday, then somebody's going to come. Because we can produce enough that somebody's going to come. But real fruit only comes through the working of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we can't have that if we are apart from Christ. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, if we don't get this, because this is the foundation for effective ministry, we will never fulfill what God has called us to do. You'll never fulfill what God's called you to do on your own. All it will do is drive us nuts. Right? Right? because we'll be trying to do it on our own strength. We'll spend our entire life worn out, burned out, beat up, and wondering why are we not seeing more fruit. I'm telling you, it is by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the body of Christ that we'll begin to see people's lives and hearts changed. Nothing that any of us can do on our own, but what God can do through us. I want to read you um, what I believe is the greatest problem in the church today. Um, And and that's saying a lot, I know. But but I really do believe this. I really do believe this. And it's going along with this abiding. I want to read to you Revelation 2, 1 through um, 6. This is Jesus telling John what to to write to the church of Ephesus. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And we're not going to read this together. That was way too difficult. So we'll, we'll probably never do that again. But... But this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He's patting them on the back. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I believe that verse 4 is the biggest problem in the church. I believe that verse 4 is the reason that so many pastors retire and quit and give up and resign on Monday after Sunday. And it is simply because we have left or forsaken Our first love. So many of us get so tied down with work. We get so tied down with family. We get so tied down with church. We get so tied down with everything else that we forsake the first love, which was Jesus. How many of us have, have, have given our life to Christ, right? We, we, we want to live for Jesus. We give our life to Jesus. And then six months later, a year later, we've forgotten why we got into that in the first place. We've forgotten what got us going in the first place. This is the love of God that we realized we were, we were in a state of despair. We were in a state that we could do nothing for ourselves and Christ came to us. And yet somewhere down the road, we clean ourselves up and we, we get um, our, our blatant sin taken care of. We, we, we quit smoking and chewing and drinking and we quit cussing and we quit doing, or watching dirty movies. And we quit. some of us quit doing those things. Some just continue on but we forget that the greatest sin is to turn away from Christ, to think that we can actually do it on our own, to not realize that if we don't abide in him, man, we're hopeless. We're helpless. There's nothing good that's going to come from it, and so we've got to remember if we don't abide in him, then we're in trouble. One of the things I've seen over and over, and and I guarantee if you're in youth ministry, you you probably saw this too. If you've ever worked with youth is I would always have like a a teenage girl who was a, you know, probably a junior, senior, maybe a sophomore in high school. And and parents, you want to hear this. If you have young children, um, teenagers, you'll want to listen to this. Um, But I would always have these, these girls who would come into my office and they would sit down and the story would go something like this. My boyfriend... broke up with me i'm so heartbroken and and it goes on and on and tears are flowing and, and it's the most pitiful thing i'm like well how long did you date 10 days <laughs> 10 days how could he do you know and, and and they're so distraught and so heartbroken and then it always comes back to this and so it goes from there and it always ended up and i, I feel so far from god God, I just don't even know where God is. I'm, I feel so far from God. And it always happened around the junior year, somewhere around in there. And you know what? Every time I traced that back, you know what it went back to? It went back to usually when they were a freshman or so in high school or maybe a sophomore in high school. And you know what happened? They fell in love for the first time. They, they fell in love. And you know what I began to realize that was is they were giving their heart to some guy and they were taking it back from God. And you might wanna think about just something to chew on what good does it do when you're in high school to really be in a serious dating relationship? Just something to chew on. I mean, you can think about that all you want to. Um, But what good does it really do for Susie, who's 14, to be dating Johnny and and being so serious with him? What good comes of it? Yeah, I I dated Susan all through high school. But you know what? God didn't have my heart. God didn't have my heart. Susan did. But you know who needs to have our heart, have their heart when they're that age? Jesus. You know how much better off our youth would be today if Jesus had their heart in high school than some guy or girl? So much better. So much better off. And maybe that's too hardcore, maybe that's too hard-line, but think about it. Pray about that a little bit, and see where it goes. But the fact of the matter is that most of them began to struggle deeply with their relationship with God because they'd given it to someone else. They had forsaken their first love. Right? They've given their heart to somebody else. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Our hearts are scattered all over the place. Instead of, of of life, usually what happens is 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 life drives us to Jesus rather than Jesus driving our life. Honestly, usually life drives us to Jesus rather than Jesus driving our life. We'll go along the way and we might ask suggestions, but typically he's not the one with the steering wheel. And so we need to get back to a place where we're abiding in his love. I want to give you a couple of things real quick and we're going to get out of here um, in the next 45 minutes or so. Um, But I want to ask you this question. Are you abiding? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are, are Are you in the center of his heart? Are, are you being, is your life being driven by him or is life driving you to him? And I'm not telling you that there's not times in life when you need to hit your knees at the foot of the cross and you need to talk to Jesus and you need the strength that comes. We need that. The problem is we think we only need it when things are bad. We don't realize exactly how bad we need it every day when everything seems to be perfect. We need it so badly every day, no matter what the circumstances are. Circumstances don't change it. But my question is, are you abiding? And the first thing I want to ask you, back in John 15, this is where we're going to finish up today. Back in John 15, the first question I want to ask you comes out of verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now listen to this. The first question to figure out, are you abiding, is what fruit are you producing? In your life, what fruit are you producing? Is it, is, it, is there fruit in your personal life? Or, or is your life being transformed to the character of God? Or is there fruit in, in, your, um, in your life for the kingdom? I mean, are, you, are people coming into Christ because of you? Are you sharing the love of Jesus with people in your life? Has that become a priority to you? What fruit are you producing? I mean, listen, if I plant a grapevine, then what do I expect to get? grapes so with people out in the world looking at us if we claim to be christians what do they expect to see christ but that's a big problem for the church today is that people are so disillusioned and so mixed up because we say we're christians we follow jesus they look at us who depict jesus to them and they go wow i didn't know god was like that but see we can't live that life on our own The only way we live that life is when the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of God in us. We can't do it on our own, but so many of us are trying. We're not abiding. We're we're just trying to do it all on our own. The second one is this. It comes out of verse 6. It says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. How close are you to breaking? How close are you to snapping? Like you do, maybe if you have children, like you do sometimes, where finally it's just like, and you just blow up. How close are you to snapping? In life, do you feel like, feel like things are about to just fall apart? We, we flew last week when we were down in, in um, Fort Lauderdale, wherever we were down that way. Um, it was way south, I know that Um, but when we flew, Susan hates to fly I don't like to fly, Susan hates to fly and on the way back, we're we're actually just walking down the tunnel, you know where you get onto the plane, and we're walking and and Susan's already so tense that we're walking along and something happened and the little thing moved a little bit, they just bumped a little bit and Susan's like, oh my gosh, what was that I was like, I don't know Susan, but I think we're good we're only like 5 feet in the air right now we're probably all right." You know, she was flipping out because that thing bumped a little bit. We weren't even on the airplane yet, but some of us are living life that way. We've been so far away from the heart of God. We've been so withered up. We've got to realize if we're not attached to Jesus, if we're not living for Christ, if we're not pressing into him, and, and you know what's sad is like when we read that scripture, all of us read it together. What's sad is for many people, that's more scripture than we've read in days, weeks, or months. And we wonder why we're drying up. We wonder why we're on the point of breaking. It's because we're not pressing into God. We're not abiding in God. We're not abiding in Christ. We're not sticking to him. And so we're in this place where our life is dry, our life is brittle, and any the l- least little movement, it feels like it's going to fall apart. We're not living in the life of Jesus. When I was, oh gosh, this was back before we had dates. So this has been like eight years ago. One day um, I had a, little, a lab, a chocolate lab named Maddox, and Maddox and I were doing yard work. And so we had piled up a bunch of uh, pine straw in the back of the house and man, it was a beautiful day. And so I was like, we're going to burn that pile of pine straw. And so we go out there, we get the hose pipe out because we want to be safe. we didn't want to burn anything up. And so we light that pile of pine straw and we kind of just sit down on the grass in the backyard and Maddox is sitting beside me. It's kind of like a Hallmark moment kind of thing. And and, um, so we just had this good time. We go up there, we cook something on the grill, man. It was a perfect day. Get up the next morning, go to church and and everything was good. We come home, and Susan and I are, are laying on the couch. We t- we're taking a nap, and we're, we're kind of in and out, kind of asleep, you know, and, and somebody knocks on the door. I'm like, great. Somebody waking us up from the nap. I'm thinking, you know, it's like Jehovah's Witness or somebody's coming, knocking on our door, and so I'm like, I go to the door, and, um, and I get there, and it's a guy from right down the street, and he says, sir, I don't know if you know it or not, but your backyard's on fire. I was like, What? And so I turn around and we have these French doors in the back of our house and I look and there are flames shooting up the pine trees. I mean, these are like 60, 70 foot tall pine, big pine trees, and there's flames shooting up the pine trees. And I mean, I'm flipping out. I got a t-shirt on with some khaki shorts and I just take off running barefoot out of the back of the house. And, and I'm yelling, Susan, get me some shoes. And so I'm yelling at her to get me shoes. And I'm putting hose pipe together, going down through the backyard. And finally she comes running out here. Here's your shoes. And she had me some bedroom slippers. <laughs> And I'm like, bedroom slippers? She's like, I, I, I panicked. I didn't know. Here. And so I put them on, and I'm going to fight a fire in bedroom slippers. And so I'm running out there across the thing with, with the hose pipe, and, and I get to the fence. I jump over the fence, and I'm, I'm still putting hose together. As soon as I jump the fence, a coal goes down in my bedroom slipper, and I'm like, ah. And so then I'm hobbling, trying to put this fire out, and I look up, and, and our, our next-door neighbor's coming across there with some hose. And so we're spraying the, hose, uh, the fire, you know, and, 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 and amazingly, we got this thing put out. And then we hear a commotion and it was the Cleto Volunteer Fire Department. Once we got it under control and they come pulling up in my yard, just tearing up my yard. And then they got over the big hose, you know? And, 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 and I'm just like, golly, you know? And, and so anyway, it was a lot of excitement. And, and so I left, we left it and they got it out. We were good. I was thankful we didn't burn down middle ground, you know, the area out there. But, but we got it put out. And so the next day I come home from work and it was like starting to flame up again. It's like, what in the world? And so I finally just set a sprinkler on it for like two days. Just let the sprinkler run. I remember. But the point is, I went down, I was like, what is going on? And so I started digging and I started looking. And what had happened is over years, it used to be a flower bed. And for years and years and years, they had stacked this pine straw on top of this flower bed. And they kept putting more every year. Every year, they put more and more and more. And what happened was that 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 fire had had burned all the way down in the bottom of this straw. It, It was deep was deep and it was dry and, and it burned down there. And when the wind would blow, it would blow hard enough that it would get under there and it would rekindle that flame. And the water I was putting on it, it wasn't putting out the, the source of that flame. I couldn't get enough water in it. So it took days for that thing to begin to be put out. And I thought about that this week in relation to this, because so many of us are living life that way. It's like we've got layers and layers and layers and layers of dry straw in our life. And so that we, we think we've put it out, but we're not dealing with the root issue. We think we've handled it, but we're not really dealing with the heart of it because the heart of it is Jesus. And so we think we've put it out. We think we've put it out. But the bottom line is until we begin to abide in Christ, that thing's going to keep coming back. Until we begin to to stay humbly at his feet, one thing the church has lost is we have lost the reverence and awe of Jesus. We think because we can come to church now in jeans or shorts that we've lost, that, that we can just come to God. He is still holy. He is still perfect. He is still righteous and we're still not. So we come to Christ with this reverence of realizing that apart from him, I can't do it. I need him. I need him to begin to pour Into me, The Bible says that um, Jesus tells us that if we're in him, that rivers of living water will flow from us. So he's the source of that water. He's the source of that saturation. And when we begin to get away from that, we get dry. And the reason many of us feel like our life is about to go up in flames is because we haven't been connected to Christ for a long, long time. And we're like the branch that gets thrown away and withers. The last one is this. In verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is telling us very clearly, listen, if you're abiding in me, then you'll obey me. Then you'll do what I'm asking you to do. And what's he tell us to do is listen, love, love, love. And my question today is, are you abiding to the extent that, that you've been affected by Jesus so much that you do what he says to do, that you love him and you love others. Isn't that pretty simple? Just to love him and love others. And so when we're, we're pressing into him, when our heart is connected to his, when we are connected to the vine, there's something that comes out in our life. We we'll begin to love other people. It's not something that's forced. It's not something that's, that, that, that we just muster up the energy to do. It becomes an outflow because we're connected to the source of love, Jesus. So my question to you is, how's your obedience? With what Jesus has given us to do. Are you laying down your life for others? Or are you living for yourself? I want to tell you as we close where we are today. For many of us. Many of us find ourselves in this situation where we're dry. Maybe we're we're lost. We're walking in darkness. And I think there's some reasons for it. The first one I believe is this. If we're real honest. We've never really loved Jesus at all. Right? We've just kind of played the game. We've kind of been a pretender, right? We've just acted like it. We've done the right things. We've been to church. We've, you know, we've smiled. We've greeted people. We've done all those things, and and yet we've never really given our life to Christ. We've just kind of played a game, Um, like a child playing make-believe. We had a friend over at our house, a friend of Dake's, who was seven also, the other night. And and we're sitting at the table um, eating dinner, and he says, uh, Dake and and this little boy, they they love to hunt and fish. And so they start telling hunting and fishing stories. And, and, man, it was good. I'm telling you. It was good. It was, it was amazing. And so um, the little boy, they, they kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and the, what he had caught and what he killed, it all got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, he, you know, they're kind of like trying to top each other. And finally, he goes, well, I caught a 20-pound bass. And I was like, all right. And Dave, even at that point, is like, no, you didn't. <laughs> And so they're fighting over it. And then so my dad, I think, was trying to bring closure to the situation. So he says, well, the world record's like 22 pounds. And it got quiet. And you could see the wheels turning in this little boy's head. Do I back up or do I stick with my story? Do I, do I back up? Do I, do I kind of repent and, and say I was lying? Do I change it to a four-pound bass? Or, or do I stick to my guns? What do I do? And he looks up and he goes, dang, I almost had it. <laughs> And we, we just started laughing because it was absolutely hilarious, man. He, he just stuck to it, man. He, he's like, man, I almost had it. And, you know, I think sometimes we're, in our culture, it's easy to convince ourselves that we're something we're not. It's easy to convince ourselves that that it's a 20 pounder and and, and it's not. It was maybe a two pounder. It's easy to convince ourselves that we're really a Christian. We're really living the life of God because in our culture, it's easy to play a Christian game. But the question is are we really living for God? Are we really, do we really love Him? Because that's really the only question we've got to answer. Because if you love Him, you'll obey. If you love him, you'll produce fruit. If you stay in his love and you abide and you remain, you will produce fruit for the kingdom of God. It will be evidence in your life. It will be evident to those people around you. It will be evident as you begin to bring people into the kingdom through the actions of your life and through the things that you say. And so we have to ask ourselves, have I honestly, do I honestly even love him or am I pretending? Here's another one. For some of us, uh, we've, we've walked in the light, but now we've resided in the shadows. See, there was a time... In, in many people's lives, when they loved God, when they walked in the light, when, when they were pressing in and they, and they were in the light. But then they found out, you know, as long as I can live over here in the shadows, as long as I can kind of hide out over here, I don't have to be in the center of the light. I just want to be able to see the light to know I'm OK if, if I can just if, as long as I know how to get back to it when I need it. You know, when I was little, we'd we'd be playing outside and I was always kind of a a scary kid anyway. And so as long as we were playing in in the woods, playing hide and seek or whatever at night, as long as I could see the light on the house, I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But I didn't want to be out in the middle of the light. Why? Because they'd see me. That's what the Bible says. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. We don't want to walk in the light because then people might see who we really are. But the deal is, for you and I, that the best place we can be is in the light. I'll tell you when the church is going to be powerful and effective is when we begin to care more about what Jesus thinks and less what other people around us think. That's when the church is going to be powerful. When we begin with reckless abandon to pursue Jesus Christ and quit caring about what other people think and say about us is when we're going to find all that we are called to be. Some of us have just slowly drifted away. I don't know if many of you, I'm sure, have been to the beach, and we were down there this year, and Dake and Davis were playing out in the ocean, and it was a repetitive thing. The tide was pretty strong, and and every time uh, we turned around, they were drifting further and further down the beach. And you know you do this thing where you like yell, and, and, and you yell, and yell, and yell, and they can't hear you. And then finally you get their attention, and all, all you know like what they're seeing is, You know, they can't really, you can't hear it, and then they're like, you know, but you finally get it to a point, come back, right? Come back. You know, you look like you're directing airplanes or something. You're trying to just get them to come back down the beach. And so what would happen, though, is they're out there playing. They're having a good time. They're living life. But before they knew it, the tide had taken them, I mean, I'm talking 100 yards down the beach. And see, sometimes the tide of life does the same thing to us. We're just going through life. We're not really pressing into God. We're just kind of hanging out and, and kind of doing the Christian thing. And the next thing we know, we wake up and we're, we're, we're miles from God. We're miles from where we know we ought to be because we've walked away. And the scary thing is when you look at Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son who went to his father and said, give me all of my stuff that's due to me so that I can go. The scary thing is that God, the father will let you walk away. He'll never quit pursuing you, but he's not going to force you to come after him so we've got to make a choice guys we've got to make a choice am i going to abide in christ do i really love him do i re- need to rekindle this relationship all of you married have, have had to do that right where where you kind of just start drifting apart and then there comes that day guys when when your wife's had enough and you know you better have like a candlelight spaghetti dinner or something to kind of get them back in your, on your good side some of us may need to have that with god Maybe we need to get to a place where we hit our knees and we really begin to call out to God and say, God, I don't, I don't ever want to be apart from you again because I can tell you when you begin to drift and you've tasted the sweetness of a relationship with Jesus, you don't want to be in that place where you're in a far land. You want to be in a place where the love of God is all over you and it's filling you and it's, it's, it's giving you the strength. It's giving you the, the ability to live the life that he's called you to live. And so we're in that place. And I ask you today, are you walking in the light of God? Are you living in the love of God? Are you you stumbling through life? Are you bumping into things? Is life driving you or is Jesus driving your life? That's the question we need to ask.